Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome to Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our beloved series, Star Trek. Live, live from Starfleet headquarters. It's Starfleet Boy. This is a, <laughs> this is for, I think it, we've established that we do pre record some episodes. So this has been a marathon session for the doctor and I. Three episodes in a row, right? Three in a row. And you can tell because I'm wearing the same, the same outfit. <laughs> I actually showered. Oh, good. good Much more presentable than I was the first time. I am having a drink called Starfleet Headquarters. That's why it's red. <laughs> uh, I am having not. Uh, I'm having water. Very nice. Good for you. Stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I do drink. On another show called uh, Drunk Space Nine, but uh, but I do want to point out that before Drunk Space Nine existed, I drank alcohol on the Naked Now so that I could feel like the uh, characters did in the episode. And I just That's realized. Right. That's right. <laughs> so I I have been. Here, I heard. <laughs> so Starfleet Boy has been drinking <laughs> since episode two of Starfleet Boy, <laughs> so it's nothing new. <laughs> I have to get our my notes. All right, sir. I do take notes, guys. All right. I do <sighs> not. I I will. You're good at that. You're you're, you're really good at that, Wesley. <laughs> I'm I'm not as good at that. I have to have a few notes. Just a few, not not too many. <laughs> well, I have notes in the. Uh... In the form of the Star Trek Next Generation Companion. Uh, Doctor, could I implore you to, since we just watched this episode, could I implore you to take a crack at the episode summary? <clears throat> Certainly. The Enterprise arrives in orbit around a rather green planet. <laughs> And uh, it is the site of a uh, of a race of arms dealers that disappeared. All oh, there's no, according to the computer, there's no life, there's no intelligent life on this planet at all. Uh, there was a previous ship, the Drake, and they don't know what happened to the Drake, so they're investigating what happened. Am I getting this right? 
You're totally on 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 track. Okay, let me know if I get something wrong. Well done, Jordy. Continue Thank with you. your command of the ship. <laughs> and uh, an away team beams down. That includes initially Riker, uh, Tasha, and Data. It eventually includes Picard, Captain Picard himself, and Doctor Crusher. Mm-hmm. And while they're on the planet dealing with the weapon to end all weapons. The arsenal of freedom, as it were. The arsenal of freedom, as they call it. Um, the Enterprise itself is dealing with uh, um, a, a weapon in space that is attacking the ship, and Geordi is left in command. Mm-hmm. And it is up to Geordi to deal with that intergalactic menace up there butterfly in the sky i can go twice as high take a look it's in a book a reading rainbow Rainbow. sorry i had to do so eventually uh picard and company uh convince the planet's computer or rather the computer that runs the uh, weapon that yes they're gonna buy the weapon they have a sale so they can stop demonstrating the uh, the deadly potential of the weapons. So the away team is um, is free to go. Oh, but uh, while they were on the planet, Crusher was seriously injured. Right. Major point. So there was some bonding <laughs> going on between Picard and Crusher while uh, Riker, Tasha, and, Ry- and uh, Data were running away from the, uh, the floating weapon. And, uh, and Jordy... Get some bonding time with Chief Engineer Logan. Who, who the fuck is that? Who the fuck is Chief Engineer Logan? And what was who's his like problem? Engineer. What was his speech impediment? What I don't. Was, I think he didn't have a speech impediment so much as he he sounded robotic. In fact, I, in fact, I thought he was a hologram from the pro from the alien from the. By the way, they're called the Echo Papas. Those things. <laughs> I thought he was an Echo Papa, <laughs> Echo Papa hologram. What was wrong with the way he spoke? It was. It was just. It was. I think he was like a character from like the 1940s that was somehow, you know, transplanted into uh, into the 23rd, 20, 24th century. Is it 24th century or in the 23rd century? 24th century. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That was that. That chief engineer Logan really took me out of the whole episode. I don't think I was he enjoying the shit out of this episode until engineer Logan showed up. And I don't think he ever appears again, if I'm not mistaken. I, don't think so. I, think I was actually going to consult a book, but I, um, I just don't remember. I didn't remember chief engineer Logan from before, and I didn't. What, I mean, what happened to chief engineer Argyle, and what happened to the the lady? I forgot her name. Wait, was did also, Argyle die? Did, oh, I forgot Argyle's death. That's terrible. Argyle died, right? In I Star Trek, out. in Star Trek: The Next Generation, there's no more depend. You can't count on a red shirt dying anymore. There, it's an it's, it's an equal opportunity de- death. <laughs> so yellow shirts and green and blue shirts die as well in, in Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> Um, so what happens? In, so what happens? What's what's the resolution of the episode? 
Oh, the resolution of the episodes is uh, uh, the crew, the away team being back aboard the Enterprise D, and Picard uh, tells Jordy, "I need my ship put back together because they he separated." <laughs> He separated. Yeah, there's a saucer separation. Very exciting. Yeah. That was a pretty good summary. I I just want to add <laughs> that yeah, the way that awesome. they, the way <laughs> the way that they figure it out is the whole thing is a sales pitch. And so once they buy the weapons, the demonstration stops. But I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. The demonstration stopped on the planet for Riker and Not Tasha. But not above, up above. Right. So, what was that all about? I think that, that they was they must have uh, re-edited. <clears throat> that you know, I thought to myself, maybe that was a different. That was just a completely different system. It could that be was, that could be planetary defense. You're right. That's right. Possible. possible. I mean, that's what I'm assuming because you're <laughs> right. it doesn't make sense that they made the sale and yet they're. Uh, it, it should have disappeared just like the the one for. Uh, Right. For um, uh, Riker and and uh, Troy, uh, uh, Tasha did. <laughs> I'm right. having. I maybe have had a little too many, uh, too much to drink. It's possible. <laughs> so uh, let's get into it. What do you think of this episode? I liked it, but it's not going to be a four point nine. I can t- <laughs> tell you. Really, that. not a four point nine. No, I can tell you right now. In fact, if you want to go right into the ratings to start off with, I give this episode a solid two and a half stars. <laughs> wow. I enjoyed this episode more than you did. What did you give it? What's your rating? I would give this episode a solid three. Oh, see, well, it's only a half a, half a thing still- more. I love this episode. I um, I enjoy it because again, it's it's an episode that has, um, it, it keeps you moving along pretty well. Something. There, there's challenges to the I guess, the A and B plot, the B plot being Jordy up there and the away team down on the on the planet. You know, there's, you've got the the tension built by these weapons that happen every 12 minutes right it's some yeah something like that yeah so they've got 12 minutes to react to the new the the newest upgrade windows 10 there wasn't there wasn't really a sense of tension though okay so i'm going to reference another show remember the Battlestar episode where like every 66 minutes the fucking cylons would find the fleet yes oh wow so they that was really good it was like the so in this episode the 12 minutes is kind of like it's interesting but it's not as effectively done like it would have been neat if there was like a way to count down you know like they like they could have built the tension a little more i thought well i guess 66 minutes those freaking toasters they're coming yeah right yeah so so but anyways you're right though that was that was a cool thing go on (laughs) um i like the weapons i like the little zingy things i thought that was cool um i love the actor vincent uh i think is his name that guy is one of my favorite actors the guy one flew over the cuckoo's nest batman returns returns yeah has he been in tomorrow never dies he's oh the really bizarre hitman. 
He's always uh, a little weird, huh? He's always a little odd. Uh, he's one of my favorite guest stars. He he was one of those guys who would just show up, and and you never knew when he was going to show up. But when when he did, it was always really interesting, and, and he was very odd. Um, and then this episode, he plays, of course, a crazy uh, artificially intelligent sales computer. Yeah. If you think your salespeople that call you on the phone are aggressive, you haven't dealt with uh, Vincent. Um, what's his last name? Is it Chevelli? Chevelle? Schiavelli. I think Schiavelli? it's Schiavelli. Schiavelli. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Yeah, Vincent Schiavelli's crazy psycho computer salesman beats yeah. any artificial intelligent crazy psycho computer salesman beats any thing. By the way, can I tell you, I got a call on, I have a landline. That's right. That's do I. That's a landline, right? It's, it's not a real landline because it's connected to the Wi-Fi some, or the internet somehow. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but the only kind of calls I get on that line are, are telemarketers. <laughs> the, the number used to, the number used to belong to someone else, so every time I pick up the phone, I know it's going to be a telemarketer. But I, ha- <laughs> I don't know why I have it. I have a landline. It's good to have a landline in case of an emergency. The, the problem is that if, unlike real landlines, this will probably not work in the case of an emergency. So if you have a real landline, don't let them clip the wires. Do not get your wires clipped. Keep your landline. I'll just have to do something else in case of an emergency. I don't know what I'll do, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> I still have my landline, so I'm happy That's with it. Know. But I get calls, and now telemarketers aren't even people anymore. Did you know this? Yeah, they're robots. They're robots, and they're like... Um, they call them some- robocallers. Robo what? Robocallers. They are. They're robocallers, and it's a real... But just okay. don't answer them. You can screen them. You have a, a thing on your phone. It's called the caller ID. I know. <clears throat> I'm always hopeful that it's a real phone call, though. No, I get excited when my landline line rings. I'll call you there every once in a while if you want. You do. You, you do. You're the only person outside of a telemarketer that actually calls me on the landline. But um, getting back to the episode, I um, again, it's an episode where everybody has something to do. Yes. Um, actually, just about everybody is in peril, actually. Uh, certainly the away team is in danger. Riker, I like that part where Riker is, is, uh, he encounters that uh, captain who... Oh, uh, yeah, that was creepy. That was super creepy. Yeah, and and we learned that Riker turned down the Drake command to to be a first officer on the Enterprise. What do you I, think about that? <clears throat> I understand it, but I wasn't. But I mean, is I thought that was I did not recall that because I know later on there are episodes where time is devoted to Riker uh, pondering whether or not. He's playing it safe by being on the Enterprise, especially in Best of Both Worlds. But I didn't know that so early in Star Trek, they had they had already established that Riker was turning down commands. I think I had forgotten this, but I also vaguely remember that earlier in the season, they also mentioned 
something about Riker being insistent on taking this <clears throat> this position. Wasn't there something that happened where like um, Riker was offered a command on another ship earlier in the season? I'm blanking out here. But yeah, you're right. It is interesting that Riker did that, but I also kind of understand it. Like if someone if someone offered me the chance to be the CEO of like, let's say a small startup um, computer manufacturer or cell phone, smartphone manufacturer, and then someone else offered me the chance to be just, just a uh, vice president for Apple, I would choose being a vice president at Apple. You know, it's kind of like, do you want to serve as a first officer on the Enterprise, or do you want to have your own command on a ship like the Drake that's only capable of warp three or four? And as we saw, didn't have a very good fate. It's, he made the right choice. He would have. He, he made the right choice. Yeah, he would have been. I don't know. Maybe Riker being on the Drake would have led to a different outcome. But maybe that's true. That's true. Um, I mean, they certainly built up that captain for a little bit. Captain Paul Rice. By the way, I like that we've been seeing in Next Generation, we've seen a lot of other uh, Starfleet officers already. So far, we've seen uh, Admiral... Well, they've been kind of high-ranking, but we've seen Admiral um, Jameson, who you know, who had the, the whole situation with, <clears throat> with uh, Karnas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen Admiral... What was well, the last episode? Yeah, what was his name, though? Ar- not Argyle. No, but it's another Irish kind of sounding name. And I can't remember. Oh, well, this is what happens when you get old, children. Children, when you get old, you can't remember what you did 10 minutes ago. <laughs> for us, it. it was like a couple hours ago. And that, for us, it was a couple of hours ago. I could check the book, but I won't. Don't worry about it. We don't have to fat check. We're we're on a marathon here. <laughs> right. Um, I and uh, uh, we and now we see Captain Paul Rice, and we kind of see like another another fate, right? You know, like kind of like what Riker might have been, you know, and whoever the first officer of the Enterprises may have encountered Riker at that at that moment. Tasha has stuff to do in the episode because obviously she's security chief and she's running around firing phasers at this thing. Uh, Data has a nice uh, Olympic uh, high jump <laughs> into the into that pit where Picard and Crusher are in. Picard and Crusher get some uh, bonding time. Oh, yeah. Which is cool. I'm, I'm always down for that. Um, we learn a little bit about Crusher. You know, I last love... episode we learned a little bit about. Uh, we learned a lot about Worf. We learned essentially his origin story. We learned about Data. Now we're learning about a little bit about Crusher. Uh, I don't think they. Yeah, I don't think they ever bring her up again, or maybe they do. But no, they do. remember the um, that ghost. Episode oh, is that about her? Remember? Oh yeah. Sure. So, uh, so line or whatever. Yeah. I know from the research I did, the little bit of research that Alveda Three, the planet that's the colony that's mentioned, I uh-huh. don't think it's mentioned again in Star Trek: The Next Generation. But apparently, there was some kind of cataclysm or catastrophe there. Yeah. Doctor Crusher grew up there. Her grandmother's name, Doctor Crusher, by the way, is Beverly. 
Crusher, but her maiden name is Howard, and that leads us to that other Howard. Episode. Howard, yeah. yeah. And smart. I think her name's Felicia. Felicia Howard is the grandmother. Wow. <laughs> Howard. That's right. It's something with Howard women. The Howard women have had this, have this like, have had this entity that's been kind of following them. Yeah, Doctor Crusher has some trippy uh, stories coming, coming up. She's an interesting person. What did you make of that moment where Picard goes? I suppose there's a lot about you I don't know, Bavale, and she goes, "Yes, there is." I think she's sort of confessing. <clears throat> in that moment that she she has not confessed her feelings for for Jean-Luc. And it's a tough relationship because un, you know this is kind of like a Mulder Scully thing in my mind, you know, like Picard Crusher. It's like you really want you want them to get together, but then you're like, well, but how can they? You know, and then why not? I don't know. And then there's this whole thing later with the last the series finale says oh, they that, oh, they got married and then they got divorced, and it's so sad. It's so sad that they had gotten I, divorced. I I, I I refute that. I I don't accept that. <clears throat> it's canon. Well, that's a possible. That's a possible future. My future is not set in stone. You're right. That's true. But I mean, um, it looks like Picard's going to have advanced aromatic syndrome no matter what. And uh, and I and I even remember <laughs> what it was called. It was oh, so traumatic. Wow. It was so traumatic to me as a child that I even remember advanced aromatic syndrome. You weren't that much of a child at that time. <laughs> like, you, how, how long did your childhood extend? I feel as though my childhood is still going on. You're just, still, yeah, just you're still maturing. Go, go on the record. I'm 38 years old and I still, sometimes I still still feel as though my childhood is in, in progress. <laughs> you're 38. How old am I? 40. Are you 41 now, I think? Two? Oh, you are 42. <gasps> You're the meaning of life age. Oh, wow. I'm the meaning of life. That's great. <laughs> All right. Or the answer. Isn't it the answer to what it's is the, the meaning of life? Everything. Yeah, it's 42. You are the answer to everything. There's there, <laughs> at this point. If this were Drink Space Night, we would do a toast to, to the great, late, great Douglas Adams. Well, you're a teetotaler, so I can do a toast. Oh, go ahead. Please uh, toast. This, Douglas Adams. Starfleet boy toast to Douglas Adams. There we go. Um, Jordy taking command of the Enterprise was interesting, I have to admit. And this is the second time he's taken command. Well, he's put in charge a lot <clears throat> this season. Oh, okay. I only remember one other time. This this time was, I thought, was very good. It I think LeVar Burton did a great job. I think he has, he's a, you know, LeVar Burton's role on Next Generation, um, I don't think I really appreciated it much the first time. Uh, maybe I was just, you know, I just, I, you know, I saw him as reading Rainbow Guy and I didn't think much, you know, I, I just didn't appreciate him as an actor. Mm -hmm. But watching the show, you know, 
through this thing we're doing now, I'm, I'm seeing that LeVar Burton was probably radically underused and, um, you know, his, just his physicality is interesting. You know, when he's relating to that stupid engineer Logan or to the other, uh, the, the, the other Helms people. Solus and Sue, who I don't think we ever saw until this episode. Any of the, those three people were all brand new. Ensign Sue, mm-hmm. what the actress, I don't know if you know this, but that actress is quite notable. Oh. Um, she was up for the part of uh, Tasha. What? Yes. That actress you may recognize. Uh, do you remember, do you remember Around the World in 80 Days with Pierce Brosnan? Yeah. Do you remember the princess? Oh, yeah. She is the princess. That's cool. She is also on a later episode of Deep Space Nine. Wait, which one? You can't remember. One that she's on. I don't know. Now I have to look her up. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I, I like her a lot. She's, she's, a, she's a very good actress. Um... I like her. She's good. Um, so I don't know if her appearance, if that was like some kind of concession to not getting the part for Yar, or I don't know. But uh, but I know she was up for the part of, of, of Lieutenant Yar. Um, but I liked, um, you know, Jordy taking command. We got a, we, we got a Sasha separation. This, I know. And it just made me realize how good the remastering is. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. And we get to see the Battle Bridge again. That's always a plus. Ensign Sue is played by Julia Nichols. No, sorry, Nixon. And she's best known for Rambo, Half Life, Double Dragon, and Sidekicks. Known for. Yes, she's in that movie, Sidekicks. And yeah, she is in Rambo. That's right. She is. Doesn't mention around the world in eighty days. It doesn't, but I I'm sure it's on there. And let's just check. Let's just make sure. I have the DVD right here. I can check. That. Yeah, you can check and see if Julia Nixon is in that episode. Um, one thing I thought that was interesting about this episode is that there are some sci-fi, cool sci-fi concepts that um, relate to things that so how many years has it been since Star Trek this episode of Star Trek the Next Generation aired oh, more, than, more than 20 right we're at the 25th let's see here I think so let's see what was the air date <clears throat> we're gonna this was done this episode aired on April 9th 1988 so we're almost we're almost um, so from '88 to 2008 would have been 10 years. Mm-hmm. So we're almost at 20 years. Yeah. No, that doesn't make sense. Oh wait, sorry, we skipped the '90s. <laughs> so it's almost 30 years ago. Fuck. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. It's been 30 years. It's been 30 you years. Noticed. Almost 30 years. We're getting close to wow. the 30. Yeah. So 2016 
two more years and this will be a 30 year old episode but um interesting concepts come up in this episode so one is artificial intelligence yes okay <clears throat> drones 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 um those are drones <laughs> not to get political yeah go ahead well, I think this episode is political. It's called the Arsenal of Freedom. It is, it is absolutely. And and what does what you know, we were stockpiling what during this time? Uh nuclear weapons. Yeah. And we were calling it like an arsenal to defend ourselves and to keep That's freedom. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. Um Iran Contra had just happened around this time. Mm-hmm. You know, relatively. Uh the weapons trade, weapons sales. I mean, these are all relevant things that were going on 30 years ago. And now this episode is actually quite relevant today because we're seeing that, like, you know, we're seeing terrible weapons that getting into the hands of people that have nothing to do with hunting or self-defense. These are weapons intended to do incredible amounts of damage and they're available. Yeah, they're they're available to uh, to to people outside of a, a military or um, peacekeeping uh, application, and and they're being handled by people that don't respect this kind of uh, destruction that that this firepower is capable of, and I think that that's very relevant. I mean, just recently in the news, everyone knows what happened in Orlando, Florida, but before that, there's I mean, that's not the only thing. Um, I read a statistic that there's been more uh, mass shooting deaths uh, in the United States now since the 50s or the 40s uh, than there have been since uh, deaths in uh, World War II or some maddening statistic like that. So, it's not a statistic, yeah. Soldier deaths, not not total deaths, but like you know, just like um, those kinds of things. So it's a really sad. It's a really sad thing, and I think that like. To the enterprise crew, this is something like they discuss and they think of as like very uh, backwards and you know barbaric and foreign to them because you know by the time when Star Trek takes place in their future, I think you know certainly a galaxy class starship has defensive capabilities, but they're not going out trying to conquer; they're just explorers, you know, and they just need to defend themselves against situations like this where you know, this kind of thing is left behind. And you can see the system that was created in Arsenal Freedom. Uh, you can see, like, if our civilization continues on this sort of, like, weapons-obsessed path, um, you could see something like this being a reality for humans. And it's really sad and scary to think about, in my opinion. Very well said. Um, yeah, you know, the comparisons to drones is very, very apt. And um, I think one of the, one of the uh, one of the aspects of warfare that this episode um, um, illustrates very well is uh, the distancing of combat from those who initiate the wars. Uh, you know, it's very easy to send a drone over somewhere. And, you know, the only people that die are on the other end. 
you know, whether they be the targets or the uh, civilian collateral damage, you know, as they say. Uh, but none of the people who are initiating this lose any lives. So it's right. like the thing of you, you're kind of losing the sense of, well, what is it to go over and, and, and make war? You know, you're turning it into a video game. And when you look at this episode, you know, you see that these people turned over uh, the war to this, this, this little drone-like thing, and it just wiped them all out. It actually worked against them, and it wiped out the whole planet. It's true. You know, um, so, I mean, it's, it's scary. So, yeah, there's a very scary undercurrent. I mean, we even... Yeah, we even see echoes of Terminator here. I mean, Terminator's kind of like this. It's like handing over your defensive capabilities and your warring to machines, you know, because I think that is coming. I feel like, you know, as we make advances in robotics, I feel like at some point our leaders will decide, well, human lives are no longer worth territorial disputes, so let's send in a bunch of robots, you know? And so it'll be huge wars being fought between robots and, you know, disputes being handled by robots and what happens when those robots who are going to need to have artificial intelligence to be able to um uh you know be superior in their combat abilities uh what happens when they obtain some kind of sentience and then they rebel against their human masters i mean there's a lot of interesting sort of thoughts that are evoked from this episode's concept of uh the arsenal of freedom you know as the title so perfectly states yeah no that's why i i really i really love this episode i think it's it's one of those episodes that makes you think um it's an episode that works on on a just on a character level i think all the characters relate to each other really well there's lots of neat character interact uh, interactions between you know data when he jumps down and and uh picard and crusher and uh Certainly, Jordy and uh, <laughs> I'm oh. laughing because there's someone you're forgetting. <laughs> yes, there. I'm I'm saving that for the negative part of my review. Okay. Um, you know, Jordy and and the rest of, of of the crew aboard there, the the Mary the Mary ship Enterprise there. Oh, I like that. Um, By the way, you just reminded me. I really like that Shirley Temple reference when Riker is talking to uh Captain Rice or, or rather I should say fake Oh the good ship captain. lollipop. He says what's your ship called? And he's like it's called the lollipop. It's a good ship, right? And so I just thought that was really I cool. Forgot. That's right. That's right. See wit nice... to the script. Yeah they're they're usually Star Trek Star Trek does, you know, a yeah. good job at that. And and let, let me just point out, you know, Crusher why she, you know she would have been a great captain on our on our on our <laughs> Pasteur television show. You know, she Crusher has this wonderful knack of just cutting through the crap. <laughs> and uh, you know, Picard and Data she, one might say she crushers the bullshit. Mm, she does. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, thank you. Um <laughs> oh. Hmm. Hold on, I'm gonna scan for anomalies in your yeah. area. <laughs> and Crusher just 
you know, tells Data and Picard, can't you just shut the damn thing off? Oh, yeah, she kind of prompts that idea. And they all kind of look at each other like, oh. Yeah, well, she's just like, she's like, guys, I'm about to lose consciousness here. Uh, I don't have time for this. <laughs> it's true. Right, so it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, when she has that, what I like about Crusher is, is that uh, that impatient um, cut the bullshit attitude she has, you know, um, in, in the first contact when she calls up the the call of the, the what's his name the hologram doctor from Voyager, and the doctor's like, well, "What do I do?" It's like, "Well, I don't know. Do a dance. I don't know. Just keep them busy. We're we're <laughs> Don't ask me these stupid questions." Yeah, that's right. Uh, I love her her impatience. Her uh, I love that about her. Um, Gates McFadden is just I can't speak. In, she's just a brilliant actress. I love her. Um, when she's, you know, she's kind of teetering on losing consciousness. I, I, I thought all that was great. Great work. Um, I guess I should avoid the, stop avoiding the elephant in the room. <laughs> Boy. <clears throat> Counselor Troy gives Jordy some, uh, some advice here in this, in this well, interesting let me, scene. Okay, let me be, let me, uh, let me be diplomatic. <laughs> what did you think about that, about... <clears throat> Troy pointing out the obvious once again. I, I, I thought, like, what? What? What did she? What was? I thought there was this weird tension that was building between Jordy and specifically the chief engineer, and there were several scenes where you see Troy kind of wide-eyed reacting to uh, uh, Jordy's decisions and how he's treating people and the way he's going about things. And I think that when you think of how com- how Picard commands the ship and how Geordi commands the ship, it's very different because Geordi's very rough around the edges and kind of unsure of himself. And you can see in one point he does look like he's going to crack from the pressure. He's kind of nervous. The there's I could have sworn there was a Dutch tilt in the shot. You know, like it was like whoa. It was like there's like this confusion the happening. Ship was on the under attack. <clears throat> it's true. So I think I think that Counselor Troy comes in to kind of encourage him to encourage others on the crew. I mean, that's her whole message. She's like, don't forget that these people are relying on you and they draw their strength from your confidence. So show confidence in them, you know, encourage them. I think Jordy is that way already. So I do agree with you that it may have seemed a little out of place for Troy to be um, advising him in this way. But I think at the same time, it's good to be reminded, even if it's not, you know, Counselor Troy doesn't always have to give criticism. She could also just give reminders. And so I think that's how I read the scene. Um, And uh, I do have to admit that, like, it did seem like Counselor Troy was just kind of put into that scene to to like point out the obvious as you say but i don't mind that i think it's great i think she's you know she does prove to me her worth later but i do have to say and i i have to admit that in these beginning in this first season there are a lot of times where it's a little trying uh, because you're like, well, what what is the point of a counselor on a ship? And and it's a new role. We've never seen a counselor on a ship before. You know, Doctor McCoy did all the you know all the bartender 
duties before and counselor Tori, she doesn't even give you a drink. You know, he was the counselor on the, uh, on the old ship. So, I mean, realistically speaking, I don't know why counselor, I mean, you know, not to look like I have something against counselor Troy. Um, but watching the episode, I was thinking, realistically speaking, why didn't she, why didn't she have a conversation with the engineer? I thought the engineer was way out of line. Right. Um, I mean, if if it had been Picard or even Riker on board the bridge, are you telling me this engineer would have said, I'm on my way to the bridge and just show up and, and give Picard? Yeah, right and, and he kept insisting that Jordy relinquish command of the ship to him, too. Right. It was very disrespectful. Was very brazen. Yeah. And, and I don't see how... I, I don't see why Crush, uh, Crusher, uh, Troy didn't, you know. Well, she uh, she tells Jordy that he's doing great as far as, I mean, she, I think she praises him for the way he handles that situation. But um, I don't think she had much else to contribute beyond stating the obvious in that situation. You know, it was like, but it was a good way for us to see kind of distill the the kind of events that had just been occurring and to see that Jordy is in fact capable of command. I don't know where they were going with this because Jordy ends up being chief engineer later on. I think by season two, it's just where he is. He's the chief yeah. engineer, he even switches to yellow shirt. Um, I thought LeVar's, uh, LeVar Burton's uh, acting was great in this episode. I thought he really did seem uh you know nervous when he needed to seem nervous i thought he was wonderfully uh you know you could see that he was trying his best to keep the ship uh in command you know command the ship in much the same way captain picard would and even when he goes into his ready room i thought that was an interesting touch uh whether it was done in the writing or or through the director where he goes over into the you know, and looks out into uh, out through the ready room window. And then he looks at the chair, Captain Picard's chair, and chooses not to sit in it. He instead goes around the desk and turns the uh, the computer console over to himself and starts looking at it that way. And I thought that was very respectful, like, and, and a nice touch, a character moment through, through that. That was great that you pointed that out. That's absolutely, that's absolutely true. I really liked of our Burton's performance throughout this, this whole episode. And, uh, and you know, again, I think I said in the last, our, our last conversation, um, season one of Next Generation, not my favorite, but certainly one of the most interesting because you see all of the what ifs um, that would have, that, 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 that would have been, that could have been possible on this show. And one of them is the what if of Jordy, if uh, he had not been uh, moved to engineering. What if, uh, it seems to me like Jordy, you know, cause this is like the third time they've called on Jordy to be in command of, of to stay in command of the bridge. And I don't think we saw that again as he was engineering. Yeah, and admittedly, I think Jordy does find his, place among the crew in engineering because at the at the moment he's just the helmsman he's like an amalgamation between sulu and chekhov and you know again i don't right. think they right. they really figured out what he is yet and i think fine 
they did figure it out when when he becomes the chief engineer i think that's his natural and and most um most fitting role on the enterprise and that's certainly what we remember you know he goes down as as one of the greats it's scotty jordy is it Belana, right? She's the chief engineer of the uh, Voyager. We have Chief O'Brien, and we have uh, uh, Trip. Yeah. Um, See, we can name all the engineers. <laughs> um, I, I think it would have been interesting to see uh, Jordy on a command track. Um, I see the potential from this episode. I think it would have been interesting. Um, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, I guess if you're wearing the red uniform, that's something, I guess it's on your mind, right? Because, I mean... Um, I'm not sure I'm not sure that Star, is Star Trek is super clear on that because I think Jada... Jada. <laughs> Data wears a, a yellow uniform throughout his entire uh, career, but he... He seems to be very prime candidate for command, and um, it suggested he's not seeking it actively. He's not actively seeking it. He's, he's um, like, like Spock. He is uh, content with. I mean, I, I mean, Data is obviously third in command in terms of rank. In the original series, the yellow shirt was command. Um, right. The red shirt, I'm not sure. I've never been sure. And then there's science, which is the blue shirt, and that's still the case. Oh, you still have the engineering. Engineering. So now it's switched. But it's not just engineering. I think a lot of people security wore red shirts. Mm-hmm. You know, and just like so yeah. I think that like maybe command is the red shirts and Star Trek. And I'm sure there's a resource for this. Maybe Memory Alpha has some resolution on this. So we'll look it up and and talk about it maybe on the next episode. But um mm-hmm. But I, but I gather from what I've seen, red shirt is, tends to be in the command leadership role. Yellow shirt, yellow uniform tend to be a variety of roles that are technical and engineering in nature. In nature, um, and then um, blue is is more of science science type stuff. Do we have to get a green? No, we don't get a green shirt. Well, now. In the original series, Captain um, Captain Kirk wore a green shirt at the trial of uh, like his dress uniform was green. Yeah, if I yeah. Kirk had like a green shirt. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, the battle bridge looked different in this episode from the last yeah, time we yeah. saw it. Yeah. A little bit bigger, right? It looked a little bit bigger, and it kind of looked like the bridge of the Voyager. If you say so. <laughs> Allow me to point out uh, details of this episode from the Star Trek Next Generation Companion mm. by Larry Nemec. Um, apparently, this episode was conceived originally as a Picard Crusher love story. Mm-hmm. But um, Robert, Lu- uh, Robert Lewin who wrote the original story, recalls that Gene Roddenberry changed his mind and opted instead for this extremely ambitious action-adventure yarn. Um, And uh, 
Apparently, uh, the director is the one who suggested that Beverly Crusher, not Picard, be the one who was hurt in the fall, putting the captain in a fish-out-of-water situation hmm. and having to tend to her wound. And I thought those scenes were really great, by the way. I like that Captain Picard was basically um, kind of putting uh, Dr. Crusher back into, like, um, medical school mode where he's like, your patient has many last you know he's like referring to her as dr crusher's patient and he's like right. tell me yeah. tell me what to do be a consulting physician here and tell me what to do to help this patient so i like those i like that approach i do like that captain picard showed a lot of concern for her but he did maintain his kind of steely cool and if I'm not mistaken, this is not the first time the two of them are uh, trapped in some kind of pit or cave together where one of them is injured. Do we later have an episode where Captain yes. Picard is injured? Yeah, trapped somewhere, yeah. And is that, is that the episode where we finally get a resolution to their love story? Is that it? Is that the I one? Think I have a vague memory of that, and I have a vague memory of not liking the episode. As a matter of fact, I think it's so so funny because the 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 lieutenant or whatever she is that um captain picard has a romance with where he plays the reskin flute and she plays the piano resembles dr crusher to me a lot like she has a similar dr crusher vibe going on really i you know i don't remember that i don't recall the episode enough to you don't remember the way she's playing the piano with him and like it's way later in the season, and I can't well, wait till we get we'll to. See. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I can't wait till we get to the episode with the Rustican flute too. I um, think I've gone on record, well, not on the show, but in our conversations. Picard and Crusher, one of the big unresolved for me, it was just a storyline that sh that that should have evolved and. Uh, I, I think there should have been a relationship between the two. I think it was clearly established from the first episode that there was meant to be some kind of evolving relationship between the two beyond just captain and chief medical officer. And the show did not uh, take advantage of it. And I think it was to the, uh, to the detriment of both characters. I would have loved to have seen, uh, rather than... Worf and Troy, or or uh, what other romances did we see? Jordy and his uh, dalliances with uh, holograms and whatever. Uh, I think a Crusher-Picard relationship would have been a really, really interesting element to the show. And I, I um, it it would have effectively meant that uh, um, I I think you know especially with Wesley, you know who is not in this episode by the way, um, strangely enough I don't know where he was, he would have he's, saved the ship. He's studying for he's studying for his uh, he's got to make sure that he makes it into Starfleet Academy the second time around. He can't fail twice, so he's studying harder. Um, I disagree right. on that point. I think the show does deliver um, what I think is the appropriate story between uh, Crusher and Picard. I think that like um, 
the resolu- what, what finally happens between them is pretty vague, and I think it's implied that they will deepen their relationship as time goes on. But the movies kind of undo all that, and the emphasis is on Riker and Troy instead. But um, <clears throat> but at the end of Next Generation, the series, there is the idea that you know Picard and Crusher will finally have their romance now. Whether they make it work or not, that's left up to uh to the imagination but i do think that like we do get a nice thing you know it's kind of tough because um uh in on a on another show where there was like captain uh commander adama and uh and Rosalind on the on the reboot series of uh battlestar galactica i hated it i hated when they finally got together although i loved it when i saw the ending but i was just like this is just getting away of adama's command and i think that like there is a, there is a degree we've talked about this with Kirk, where Kirk is definitely you know married to the Enterprise. I think we're starting to see here that Picard also is very devoted to the Enterprise. You know, no, and so not like Kirk. No, I disagree hundred percent. You just disagree because Kirk didn't have a crusher, so he didn't have the complication of like well, a. Kirk could never have a crusher because he was seriously in love with the Enterprise. Well, that's probably true. Picard. Um, I think Picard would leave the Enterprise <laughs> not for anything, but there are situations where he is tempted away, and Kirk is never tempted away from the Enterprise. That's okay, yeah. I'll give you that. That's that's very true. Picard, as we just said in the last episode, you know, Picard is somebody who uh, you, you were saying that he's the, he's the type of captain who watches human. You know, he's very observant mm-hmm. and he watches mm-hmm. behavior. You know why? Because that's the, the anthropologist in him. That's the, um, you know, uh, anthropology slash archaeology slash historian side of him. Um, I mean, um, my God, in the last episode, we see that he's uh, growing grapes. He's gone back to the, uh, the family estate or whatever <laughs> to grow grapes, make wine. I mean, that's not something Kirk would ever do. Let's face it. I don't know. I mean, Kirk kind of in the Nexus, you see kind of like what Kirk's retirement would be like. And, you know, he's. And and Kirk himself realized it was false. And he said, no, (laughs) I'm leaving Antonia and I'm going to save the, you know, uh, this captain of the Enterprise that I've only met for five seconds. I know. And and unfortunately, the Enterprise does not last. You know what's a shame is that he didn't even get to see the Enterprise. Oh, you mean Kirk? I think it would have been nice if Kirk saw the Enterprise. Although I think he would have liked the Enterprise E a lot better than than the Enterprise D. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I think the Enterprise looks better without the saucer. No, I hate that drive star drive section. You do? Yeah, I like it. I like this this complete saucer. No, it's, I like it with the saucer. It's too big, man. No, it's yeah, a beautiful ship. Big. The Enterprise D is a gorgeous ship. It's unlike anything. An ugly ship. <laughs> it's unlike anything I've ever. Star Trek: The Next Generation brought like a, a whole new kind of starship Enterprise, or just starship in general, uh, into play. It looked like something maybe the Mon Calamari would have. Yeah, you're and... right. There's a Mon Calamari aspect to the Enterprise D. I don't like it. I've never liked the D. I love it. 
I've never and and it's true. No other ship has gone as big with its saucer as that ship. So I should <laughs> tell you something. <laughs> well, the saucer went from this shape to that shape. Yeah, the arrow shape. Yeah, I like yeah. that. The more of an arrow shape, which is more like Voyager, I guess. Yeah, I like that. I like the traditional circular saucer myself. I think well, the the yes. NCC seventeen oh one A or the refit seventeen oh one are the supreme design of the Enterprise. And the only reason I think the reboot Enterprise seventeen oh one is kind of interesting or is you know, is because it has a circular saucer section. <laughs> That's true. It is circular. Although That's the true. rest of it's radically different. It's a weird, weird looking ship. It is a weird looking hobbit ship. <laughs> um, well, on that note, I think uh, I can't think of anything else. No, I think so. So you stand by your solid three on this episode? This is a solid three. Solid what do you three. 2.5. You sure you don't, you don't want to... I have to say that after the discussion, I do Uh feel that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be out of line to give the episode three stars. So I'll agree with you. I'll say let's. let's There we go. A nice three star. A nice three stars. So change. Well done. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. We don't have a database girl on Starfleet Boy like we do on Drunk Space Nine. Can't afford. We no. can't afford it, so How audience. How does Goldu Scott pay database girl? What's that? How does Goldu Scott pay database I girl? Don't, I don't know. The Cardassians are a little different. I don't know, but uh, Starfleet boy, uh, we encourage our audience to participate in any way you like. And if someone wants to keep track of our ratings, that would be an interesting thing to uh, to find out at the end of the season what we what we thought of each episode, we could do a recap. Maybe we're going to have to do it ourselves. You think we, we're, I'm willing to give community service hours. To, to, that's something we do at the high school is we give kids community service hours. <laughs> I'll give community service hours to anyone who... Uh, if you do assign a student to watch the show and collect data on things like ratings and stuff and stuff like that for our finale of the season uh i'll happily sign a document saying that they they earn their community service hours but also please remind them to subscribe and uh and to the show (laughs) and for those of you out there who are subscribed feel free to interact with us any way you like we're starfleet boy on all the all the things instagram and Twitter and Tumblr and Facebook. What's our next episode? The next episode is something that I've forgotten already, (laughs) but I'll tell you what it is. It is symbiosis. Do you remember that one? No, I don't. It is the episode with Merrick Buttrick. Merrick Buttrick is Kirk's in the, son? Kirk's son is in the episode. And sadly, this is the last time we see this actor in Star Trek. Uh, but we'll or go into yeah. or anywhere else. Yeah. I don't know. He may have made a few movies before he passed, but but yeah. Wow, the late great uh Merrick Buttrick. 
Barrett Quattrick. Yep. Not a great last name, but. <laughs> um, I don't remember that episode other than the fact that he's in it. You know, both him and Savick were on Next Generation. Wait, what was, when was Savick on Next Generation? Savick? You mean played, the second Savick? or because Yeah, because Kirstie Alley was not. That's right. No. No, it's a shame we never had Christy Alley on. I know, Christy Alley. Thank you for doing Star Trek, Christy Alley, for just being on Star Trek once. <laughs> how many How many actors from Cheers have been on <laughs> Star Trek? Frazier? Well, Frazier, we've had Christy uh, Alley. Um, Ted that... Danson has never been on Star Trek. He should. Why not? I know he should consider it. Has Rhea Perlman ever been on Star Trek? I don't think so. I wonder. Hmm. Does... I'm gonna have to do some. We'll do some research for our next episode. The cast of Cheers. <laughs> I do remember. The oh, this is really cast. funny. Do you remember Mad Magazine? Of course, yeah. There was yeah. a Star Trek parody they did with Cheers, and the bar had engines on oh, nacelles. Really? It had nacelles on it, and I just vaguely remember this. I'm gonna have to look it up now. Wow. Yeah, Mad Magazine. Or it was either Mad or Cracked. I couldn't remember which one. Did you, oh, did you remember those publications? Yeah, of course. You know, both shows are Paramount, Cheers and, and Star Trek. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There could easily have been a Cheers, Star Trek crossover. crossover. What would that have been like? Well, I think it would have been fun if uh, Patrick Stewart sat at the bar at Cheers. I mean, that would have been a neat a neat little thing. Uh, incidentally, speaking of Cheers, Cheers had a spin-off show called Frasier, which takes place in beautiful Seattle, and that's where Starfleet Boy is headquartered. That's it's right. Headqu we're headquartered here in Seattle. That's so, right. Was, uh, were any of the actors on Frasier on Nixon, on Star Trek? I think only only uh, Kelsey Grammer. Okay. And he's I like a so. Star Trek fan. Is he? I'm not surprised. <laughs> okay. All right, well, on that note, I think we'll wrap up this fine episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where we had a discussion about the arsenal of freedom. And uh, I just want to say again, uh, it's it's pretty obvious. We have enough history backing up this, uh, this claim that just stockpiling weapons and advancing weapons is not the solution to world peace. And if you talk to any individual on the street, 99 out of 100 people I guarantee you want to live in a peaceful world and probably would be happy to give up uh, the liberty of owning an automatic assault rifle uh, and, and just being satisfied with the right to bear arms, meaning a handgun or a shotgun for hunting. I'm not sure about that, but I think that that's, that's my opinion. <laughs> Make love, not war. Make love, not war. Put roses in those gun barrels. Come on. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyways, um, live long and prosper. Peace live in our long. time. There we Peace, go. Peace in our time. time. Peace. Peace.